Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Rachel Milvald, LCSW SCP. Rachel is a practicing psychotherapist and trauma expert specializing in couples and systemic therapy. Additionally trained in architecture and design, she is the founder of Psychitecture Inc., a niche coaching and consultancy working with interior design and personal growth. She's developed a specialized set of therapy tools based on the philosophy of how our environment reflects our highest selves to also help couples and families in conflict. Rachel is uniquely qualified to guide families through these testing times by combining straight talk and one-on-one counseling with practical design solutions. Boots on the ground intervention is key to Rachel's method, working closely on site with the client's vendors and intimately with the clients. Welcome, Rachel. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. I'm so happy to have Rachel Melvald on as my guest, the founder of Psychitecture, where the arts meet psychology. Welcome. Thank you, Josephine. I really am so pleased and honored to be here today. I've been such a fan of your podcast and as well as obviously referring to you for the psychiatry that you do. Thank you. Well, I'm excited because I want to learn more about what you do and I want to learn about psychotecture and what it is. So, I mean, I guess that's the good first question basically to ask, what is it? Yeah. So everyone does ask, what is psychotecture? The name you can kind of derive, obviously, psyche and architecture. And I guess the best way to start to explain what psychotecture is is to go to my background. I am a psychotherapist and I was going at the time to Southern California Institute of Architecture or architecture school while I was in private practice. And I thought, you know, I love being in private practice, but I also want to follow my dream of being an architect. And as I was studying at SciArc, which is, you know, one of the most creative design schools in the country, I said, you know what? I'm too social. I love psychotherapy to be doing AutoCAD designing all day. And it was just synchronicity where my clients were progressively having more issues in the home space, whether they were coupling up and moving in together, whether they were getting married and just, you know, working with the architect on their new home, or it was a remodel you were finding all the issues coming up with the couple was coming up in home design situation. Mm. So that's where I thought, okay, how about I combine these two passions of psychotherapy and architecture? And that's how psychotecture was born. Interesting. So the clients that see you, do they come to you with a specific problem of conflict within the relationship? And I'm sure you don't only focus on the space, but you try to go into that and talk about the space. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. The entryway into a psychotecture intervention would be from a couple just coming to me for couples therapy and just having, you know, conflict communication problems, or they are in the actual architectural remodel and having conflict around negotiating the space. Mm. 
I can give you an example of a couple. One guy, commitment phobe, the girlfriend, they had been dating for seven years. She's like, I'm ready to move in. This is ridiculous. I don't want to schlep anymore to your house. And he's a very kind of zen, antiseptic type of aesthetic and really needs his cave, his space. She's like pottery barn, flowers, you know, very fluffy and really wanting to make a home. And the two of them really looking at this prospect of moving in together, not only was their aesthetic and what they were struggling with design-wise was really articulating their conflict as a couple to negotiate Mm -hmm. their, their commitment. Interesting. So I think maybe taking a step back, not only talking about the couple and how you negotiate needs and wants and preferences, but also maybe talking about the individual and how space is important to them. Yeah, that's the other piece of psychotexture. So I will explain that psychotexture not only is a intervention and a methodology, but it's a philosophy of how we feel in space in our environment. And I like the two-prong approach of being a psychotherapist and understanding how much our environment affects how we feel and how we are. And especially as we are so much more compromised in our home workspace right now, it has even been more of a situation that calls for our attention. So to go into design psychology, psychotexture is not like its first you know, rendition. It's based on design psychology. It's based on ergonomics. It's based on biophilia, how we feel in nature. There's so much philosophy and psychology behind how we, even in our primitive system, are attracted to certain aspects of aesthetic life. Mm-hmm. So psychotexture really tries to work with the individual in really coming up with their true, authentic connection to what they want to have in their environment. Interesting. That's fascinating. So as a therapist, if someone is living in their true environment, right, are you able then to pull a deeper understanding of their internal world? Yes. And it's a magical journey, I will say, because what I found as a psychotherapist, you can have the traditional setting of sitting, you know, what we used to do across from each other and going through an exploration of the mind. Yet when you go into the home or if you're looking at interiors together, because I will often go with the client to look for interiors. And I'm also very big on the art curation. So if you're just going into, let's say, a color field, looking at palettes, looking at how we respond to the vibration of color, how we respond to particular art pieces, what texture we need in a sensory way, right? If we look at sensory integration. And so the object of the desire or what we look at, whether it's, you know, any interior variables such as lighting or color or texture of furniture, it informs us as to what that person is about. Hmm. But I guess that's based on the assumption that their world, the design in their home or how it's set up is true to them as a person. It can be, right. That's a good point because sometimes you'll see that what people project onto their space is what they think should be the way to design 
or they think, oh, I like that color red. I'll paint that color red on the wall. Or, you know, I think I should do shabby chic because it's in style. But my process is really trying to unearth what really authentically should be in your space more. But it's informational when you do go into home and you see, oh my God, there's like someone painted a sky on his ceiling and he's a very oppressed stockbroker. What does that mean? It doesn't look right in terms of my idea, but Mm -hmm. it was informational and medicine for him. So it's an entryway. Right. Hmm. And I I think it is very relevant, like you said, during this time that people are spending so much more time at their home, right? Maybe to some people, it wasn't quite as relevant if they're working all the time and they're in an office, right? And they just kind of go home to sleep. You would hope that their environment was fed them, right? Their home environment was feeding them. But, you know, I think it's people maybe are feeling that there's maybe something missing in their home environment, wishing it was different, wishing it fulfilled them more, maybe? I think you bring up an excellent point. I had a client just the other day. She had moved to New York City from Los Angeles, and she was so excited to be in her new Tribeca loft apartment. And she says to me, I just hate my space. I hate my room. I hate the apartment. It feels cold. It feels... And she finally said, I feel small in it. She goes, the paintings on the wall look small. There's no greenery. And I said, well, how are you feeling with this new move? You know, this is a big move for you. You hardly even greet your old city. And she said, I'm feeling small. I'm feeling not confident. And so my approach is to work with the interior as we work with the exterior and to see how we can work with her, you know, getting a bigger chair, getting some paintings that feel more of her sense of esteem, you know, getting a bed that actually she can sleep in. I mean, let's talk about basics. You have to have a comfortable mattress. So yeah, I think you bring up a good point. It really is kind of a prescription. Like you might prescribe, you know, psychotropic medication. It's more a interior variables. So I just am curious about the process. So you talked about maybe going with somebody to choose something, but I'm sure you don't do that for every and most of the people. It's more of kind of an interaction these days over, over Zoom or a screen. So do you basically help them identify things that are of importance to them? You don't necessarily look through, you know, an online catalog or be like, this is what you need, but help guide them towards kind of what is important to them. Sure. Yeah. That's a good description. I call it a four-step process. I, first of all, will do an assessment and the assessment will, you know, I have a written, you know, if it's a couple, I'll have the couple do the assessment together as well as individually. So in couples work, I'll have two meetings as well as give them the assessment, which basically goes through a art and design aesthetic inventory, while also goes through a mental health inventory. With a couple, it's you know digging into more of their relational issues. So the first part would be an assessment. Where is this person at in their therapy? Where are they at in their interior design process? Are they in a remodel? Are they working with the architect or the contractor? Are we looking at just one kitchen? Are we looking at a whole build out? So first of all, I'm trying to 
kind of go in as a project manager in some ways. I'm really more of a mediator and yeah. a consultant versus doing true psychotherapy. Okay. At that point, with the assessment and my findings, I kind of do, which is like a case study, a treatment plan. So the diagnosis treatment plan is kind of like we do in traditional psychotherapy, but I will look at what elements of the design build are going to be planned out, who do we have on board, what are the psychological and relational processes that are needing to be addressed in the treatment plan. And then, of course, we have the intervention. And the intervention is anything for me going into the home space. We also then break out and meet in sessions virtually now. And then we reconnect back into the space, ideally. Right now, it's more challenging. And then there's the maintenance once the build has happened and any issues that come up with the client or couple. It makes me think about what happens when one member of the couple is more invested in the process and another member, the partner of that person, is not so interested. They are like, just do whatever you want. (laughs) And maybe conflict doesn't arise because of that. But I would assume that over time, that becomes more of an issue that that the member of the couple who maybe wasn't quite as involved becomes dissatisfied that their space isn't kind of their own or what they had hoped for. I think you bring up a good question. And I really try to be, you know, in the get-go meeting with a couple to really make sure that each client's needs are addressed. And I think that we know in therapy, that is an important part of not only individual therapy, but couples work is that they're truly heard and validated. And I try not to let that go by in our first meetings as to what they find to be important in their space, what is meaningful to them. If there's a more dominant part of the couple who wants to control the design process, I actually find that that can be easier sometimes Mm -hmm. when one member of the couple kind of gives it to them. Yet to completely not have input and to be not in that process, I think would build resentment on both ends. Right. It's okay if someone has more of the dominant, I'm going to leave this interior design plan. That's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. the wife says, you know, this is what I want this look and I'm going to do all the rooms. And her husband's like, well, I just want one space to have my office and my old relics and my old puzzle pictures. And that's important, right? Maybe he wants his old sofa that, you know, is awful in terms of what she would think, but you have to negotiate that. Right. And it seems like just such a great microcosm of kind of the meaning of their dynamics on a macro level, right? This idea of working together, figuring out whose needs are going to be met and how you can get both members of the the partnership's needs met in kind of a, a peaceful way. I mean, the main part about relationships are about compromise, but also being able to attend to your own needs. I mean, that's the main struggle that people face in couples, right? And so it is this interesting starting point. And a lot of couples start out in the beginning of the relationships trying to figure out how to cohabitate in a way that works for both of them. 
So it makes sense to start a relationship on kind of this footing of understanding under the umbrella of design, but it's much more meaningful than that. I think you just described it so well, because to decide to cohabitate is such a developmental shift of your autonomy, your independence, what you knew to be your world. And all of a sudden you're negotiating your plans, your dreams, your goals, everything. And in this combined space is where you find that practically living out. Right. I mean, I'm also wondering in terms of relevance of COVID times, the economy, the way way it is, a lot of people don't have that luxury of being able to think about design at this point. But I guess at what point does the financial constraints really limit people's ability? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. And that's very important to me. I started off as a social worker and To me, it's the person in the environment. And we're very much defined. I do believe mental health is defined by the environment that we live in. And that's what symptoms are. You know, we don't have that if we don't understand what socioeconomic system we're in. And so to factor in what means and resources we have, I think we need to be more creative. And I think we as a community, a city, We have to build and construct and allow for beauty and greenery for all people. I don't think this is a, should be access to luxury. And I've worked with anyone moving into just their one bedroom apartment as a couple and, you know, modest means to high-end Malibu home art collector. We all need the same basic Mm -hmm. basics. So... I think we have to just not look at that as a privilege. It's a right to live and breathe in a space that inspires and reflects a positive part of ourselves. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the process. I mean, I know we can talk about couples, we can talk about individuals, but for the listener listening who maybe isn't in in a couple or maybe who isn't in the middle of a remodel, I mean, what are some tips that you maybe would start with in terms of thinking about their space and thinking about ways to make it more comfortable? Maybe to feel more connected to your space is a better way to put it. Well, I would say even if you're working in your own space, not remodeling, not, not you know, going through a major interior design plan, I think it's really, there's so much movement with the objects that we currently even have in our houses. So where in your home, I think it's important to, especially with COVID, where do we have boundaries? Okay, so when we're looking psychologically at boundary work, how are we creating boundaries from work to home in our space when we're, we have a kitchen and a living room and an in a bedroom? So I think we're getting creative of saying, well, my kitchen table is my office at this hour. And then I leave that space to go to the couch to unwind at night. I think we're being more intentional as to how to rearrange our furniture how to maybe even, I have one couple, she's hilarious. She's, her husband has a garage full of stuff and he will not get rid of it. And now they're home working together. And she said, the screen, you know, one of those like screens she put up 
to not look at this garage space window was like the best treatment. So something as simple as just putting a, a divider in, you know, that you could get at Target would be a treatment. But, you know, painting, you know, we could do that ourselves. And we could look at, you know, I work with color experts that really go unconscious to looking at what colors are really needed in this space. So we can always play with color art. I don't think interiors have to be inaccessible or have to be high concept luxury. I think we can just play in our space and really, you know, at the end of the day, are we feeling good in it? What does it bring up in our bodies? What is it? Is it enlivening us? Or is it like in the feng shui sense, like if you have open doors and cabinets and things are broken, it's not going to feel good internally. So I think it's really an exploration of getting more conscious around how you feel in that space and simply just rearranging. It also makes me think about parents and having children at home and feeling as if you don't have many options because the space is not yours and the things aren't yours <laughs> in a way. You, there's toys <laughs> everywhere and kids things everywhere. I mean, have you worked with parents in that yeah. capacity? Yeah. And I think it's, that's a great scenario. You know, that's a great case study to bring up because it's true. It does feel like your home has been invaded by like plastic and how do you kind of organize yourself and your home to feel like you still have your sacred space? I think it's a lot of organization. And if you're fortunate enough to have another room, like a playroom, obviously, that's going to be a way to at least give some containment to it. But I think it's also as a parent, as you know, you're having to evolve into not having the control of your space as much. So on one level, you can help contain and structure, but on another level, you're going to have to give it, give it, give up some control. Right. And And I think that's an interesting point that maybe part of this too, is not to say, oh, it's all about you and your space, but what's, reasonable, right? And what are your limitations, your realistic (laughs) limitations? And maybe part of it is to say, okay, I'm not going to have this space as my own, but where else can I feel that comfort? Is there a space in my home that I could say, this is my one little corner, or is there a space outside or something? Thinking about realistically what the options could be. Right. And I think that is important. And I think even whether it's with your children kind of with all the play and all that kind of invades your your living room and to where even as a couple newly cohabitating, where can you kind of recharge? You know, I think it's really ideally, yes, if you have another room or yes, obviously a back house would be ideal. Living on a compound, you know, would be great. But look, it's even like having two sinks or two separate bathrooms. Wow, that can really help a couple not have to look at the toothpaste in the sink, right? That's your bathroom. That's your thing. I don't need to be a part of it. So the more space and options we have to either, like with my one couple, we have, you know, his man cave. It's his studio. It's where he plays music. It's where he writes. That's where he goes to recharge for him. And it's important. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I can also makes me think about just behaviors and behaviors that kind of annoy you about your partner, maybe. And this idea or preferences, like I can't believe he wants that awful couch. Right. And I mean, I think that's just part of the couple's work. If another member of the couple is like, well, if he loved me more, or if he was more kind of in tune to what I needed, he would maybe wipe the toothpaste off the thing. Right. And so I think part of, I mean, do you kind of work in that? Exactly. Thank you. That's a really good point. When domestic issues become so highlighted, let's say just, you know, doing the dishes or, or cleaning off the crud off the fork and putting in the dishwasher or not. Some, some people do, some people don't. And yeah. And, and if you love me, you would clean up at the end of the night. It does bring up that sense of what is the core wound going into the relationship? What is the imago, as Harville Hendricks would say? The imago of this wound is, you know, I have a couple right now. I had to take care of myself with my mother my whole life. I had to pay the bills. I had to make sure. And every time you don't turn the light off at night, every time you leave that kitchen in disarray, I am so wounded and triggered by Mm -hmm. my stuff. So it always comes out in the domestic space. Right. And how does that play out? So say the member who's had that wound, right, expresses that, then how does that move forward? So you at least acknowledge and have an insight and understanding, but then what happens after that? Well, so in couples therapy, I really do like the approach of, you know, with the training that I've done with Gottman and really learning more about the Imago therapy, you're really, yes, you're acknowledging the wound. And I think to create an empathetic space between the couple to, for each person to really see and empathize and acknowledge the pain that their partner is going through and why they go through it, I think is pivotal in that process. Because I think that's what promotes the change of why one would want to negotiate sacrifice because I don't think it's about sacrificing. I don't like that word. I don't think even in design that works like, oh, I'm sacrificing that room. You want to generously give to your partner because you know why it's important to them. Right. And if you don't realize that it's that important, if it just seems to annoy them, maybe you think, well, why would I change? Like it's annoying, but maybe not necessary to change. But if you really get in there and understand why it triggers them so much, the hope is you would be more motivated to maybe make that change or kind of do something that you're not really that interested in, but it's so important to your partner and you understand why. That's exactly it. Because you really are understanding and loving your partner for that. And you're really saying, oh, my partner had a lot of pain growing up around this. And to spark that empathy is the love, right? And it can also go the other way of saying, you know, (laughs) I understand why my partner doesn't want to do the dishes because of whatever old wound. And so I guess it's really, maybe it will remain exactly the same, but with more of an understanding of why, maybe that's the whole treatment and the whole resolution. Right. The understanding of why I think is the key that unlocks it. Mm-hmm. To practice it though, I mean, I guess I'm not an analyst. I have been certified in union work. I'm not a 
practicing analysts, but the realization and that connection to the wound, yes, I think is what motivates the change. But what I find in the design process in particular, the same thing flares up and it flares up and it flares up. I don't think it just shifts, you know, with that one aha. It's a new muscle that we're also building as we're building that home. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it back to design. I was getting a little off track. (laughs) Well, it goes, (laughs) it goes in and out and it can kind of go through such a odyssey with, with psychotexture. Yeah. Well, I want to be mindful of your time and our listeners' time too. I mean, I found this really helpful because I learned much more about your process and what you do. And because, you know, I was thinking as we were talking about these Marie Kondo show, and there's another thing that's out now recently that I haven't seen, but I've heard about. People are interested in design and psychology of people, but it's never been kind of quite laid all out there, right? It's exactly. like, you want your space, you want it, you want to love your space, but it doesn't go beyond that. And so I think psychotecture is going much more deeply into that in a way. Thank you for saying that because I really think people are hungry to have that relatability. Like, oh my God, we almost divorced over our kitchen remodel. Like I almost killed him, you know? So I think people are wanting to see how a psychotherapist really would dig in that interior space with you. Right. Yeah. What do you think of Marie Kondo, by the way, and her method? You know, I really appreciate her psychology of what sparks you. I love that. You know, do you mm-hmm. feel the spark? Are you in love with it? If you're not in love with it, like get rid of it and let someone else benefit from it. Clear it out for something new. So I absolutely subscribe to that. I think she's of the Eastern philosophy of, of more of the feng shui. In the Western psychology of looking at space and interiors, I think you've got to go deeper Mm -hmm. and you've got to understand the psyche. You've got to understand how sensory integration works with space and walls and lights. I think it's the neuroscience is the complement to her. Right. I'm glad to kind of know it. That actually makes me understand psychotecture even more kind of understanding kind of the difference between the two. Well, Is there anything that you want to bring up that we didn't talk about that you think might be of importance? You know, I just think you asked such great questions. I so enjoyed and appreciated this interview process and it really helped me get an understanding more as to how I work. So I, I really just want to thank you. And I really feel grateful for the opportunity to have interviewed with you today. So I think that this is such an interesting novel approach to therapy. And I mean, it makes sense in terms of your experience, kind of the confluence of that and how it's kind of turned into this. And it's exciting, an exciting field. Yeah, I'm excited to, to keep growing it and trudging on. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'll make sure with our episode description, I'll have your website and some more information about you up there. If anybody wants to learn more, they can check that out. I love that. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. All right. Yeah, thanks. Take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. This has been Mind Stories. 
With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina Del Rey, and Echo Park, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.